0: Matt McInerney, New York. Andy Mangold, Baltimore, Maryland.
1: Dan Auer, San Francisco. Recorded November 13th,
2: 2014. Loading episode 90, Variant A. Guys, real real quiet. Come in close, come in close. Okay, what do you you want to know, Andy? Don't tell anybody. Don't Don't tell anybody anything. But we launched Days Work this week. What?
0: Oh, congratulations! I got yeah. I got an email saying I don't get to play with your beta anymore. So well, you
2: do. You have no. you have thirty free days left. We we put you on the free trial. I know. I know. I appreciate that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. No, we we launched it very quietly. We spent uh, last night, I guess. Yeah, last night. Time is weird. We spent last night uh, staying up late and deploying it and moving the hosting over, and it's now public. and We haven't really told anybody yet because we're kind of waiting to see if there's some kinks to iron out. Uh, obviously i'm gambling that by the time this podcast comes out we'll be ready to tell people so i guess that's kind of a way to make sure we're ready but yeah that's very exciting we're uh like we have two subscribers now so you know pretty much pretty much rich cash is rolling in the door yep all right yeah that's awesome congratulations well
0: congratulations andy i hope it does well i like your batman invoice
2: that was my Batman voice on your homepage. Oh, Batman invoice! There's an the
0: invoice said, from Wayne Industries. Yeah, I was talking like this. Come on. Up. Why does Batman need
2: a website? Come it on, seems like he doesn't need a website. Uh, well, it's, like, it's Bruce Wayne's secretive. website that has yeah. a secret Batman backend that that makes sense. Bruce Wayne could go on and he has special permissions to view the bat the bat like to restock the Batmobile with ammunition and Caltrop's. And oil slick off of an admin panel, Ruby on Rails. Cave management system. Cave, exactly, yeah. (laughs) He has to go in and manage the the nest thermostats in his Batcave, of course. Check for intruders on his uh, drop cam. Um, Quick, what are other startups that Batman would use? Um, Come on, come on.
1: The August lock. We could lock all the doors. Padlock all the doors.
2: Oh, the, the smartphone, <laughs> smartphone deadbolt. Uh, yeah. What else? Gosh, uh, would he use Airbnb when he traveled? I, maybe. I guess. I don't, yeah. I don't know. He's super rich, so no. No. So Airbnb no is out. He Uber's use that out. At all. What about the Uber helicopter service? Does he have his own helicopter? Uber has a he helicopter. He has his own service? helicopter. Yeah, Uber has a helicopter service. You did not know that?
0: No. I feel like Batman doesn't need any sort of disruptive service that saves you money because he's super rich and can do whatever he wants.
2: Well, but that's the thing though, is technology things are pretty much catering to the super rich already. He's just the super, super rich. That's so that's, true. that's kind of an untapped yeah. market, I would say, right? Like Wait, do you think he has his own social network with Alfred? Oh yeah, he and Africa have a private social network. That's a good idea. Yeah.
0: This yeah. Is good. He could he could pay to develop his own like it's not like it has to be one well, of yeah, those, that's uh, what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, totally. It's just a bad network. We actually, a while ago, I forget how long this is a long time ago, we talked about the idea of making uh, apps for rich people. And we just thought that if we could come up with an app idea that like mega rich people wanted, that we could sell it for a thousand dollars and only have to sell, you know, a couple dozen, right? Because that's the whole that's the whole business model of you know exotic car companies and Rolex and Patek Philippe and yacht companies are like look we're not going to sell that many Patek Philippes they cost as much as a house but all we have to do is sell like 12 of these motherfuckers and the factory running for the whole next 2 years so
0: there were a couple of those i really thought were funny uh one was pretty over the top seemed like a parody but wasn't it was like a $20,000 email service do you remember that no okay. i don't see i i'm not aware oh, of these that's a real thing it was basically like of course it wasn't well done, right? Of course yeah. it wasn't because it somebody didn't... thought to have that idea and they thought we're going to spend $100,000 and get five people to sign up for $20,000 and be all set forever. And the other one I really liked was – I don't know. This was a while ago when Christian Schwartz designed the luxury fonts for house industries and decided they're going to charge for like $999 a weight or something just because they're like specifically designed to mimic luxury brands. And it was it, it seemed like a parody – as well, but it was very funny uh I don't know how serious it was, but they made kind of like mimicked the Prada logo or mimicked the like
2: Estee Lauder
0: logo or something
2: the The one idea we had, which I think might have actually worked, but we couldn't bring ourselves to make it because you know ethics and wanting to put good things into the world and whatnot was uh if you had an app that was like a like a social network hub, so you could like you know link it up with Instagram and link it up with Twitter and link it up with other stuff but yeah, but uh, you didn't just sell it in the app store. You only distributed it privately uh, to people that paid you to customize it for them. So it would be like, you know, Matt McInerney's app. And you open it up, and it's got the things in the order you want. And it's got your, like, logo or something we make for you up there. It's got your favorite colors in it. Uh, I think you could sell that to some dumb rich people for, or maybe maybe the entitled children of some dumb rich people for for a couple thousand dollars, right? Like, get your, get your own custom app with your name on it. I feel yeah. like that's a thing people would pay for.
0: Isn't that where Rebecca Black comes from? Like, it's just a guy who yeah. caters to, like, really rich yeah. parents' children and says, like, hey, you want your kid to have a music career? Pay me $10,000. I'll put him in this video. I'll write the song for him. Actually, probably more than that, right? Yeah. And I'll make a song for him. I'll put him in a video. I'll auto-tune him up, and they're going to
2: be super famous. Let's go. See, I, I thought it was just a... Uh, I, I could be mistaken on my Rebecca Black facts, so... Please correct me if I'm wrong. I thought it was a situation where they just like, oh, she wants to like pretend to be a star and have a professionally made music video about a song of hers, not we're going to catapult you to meme-level celebrity. Uh, Actually, way, I don't know
0: what the intentions were. I think we're describing the same thing. I just don't know what they meant to do.
2: No idea. The question is, how did that person sell that service? Did he sell it as, I will get your daughter on Good Morning America by any means necessary, or did he sell that service as uh i will make a cool music video and whatever happens happens it's really in the hands of the internet
0: i'm not sure who knows he certainly didn't sell it as like your daughter will be the laughing stock of the internet for a solid month
2: yeah but hey everyone knows her name so you know no such thing as bad press am i right mm-hmm.
0: i'm not sure that we've settled on that but sure
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep go ahead and put that in your tweets people no such thing as bad press on the grid podcast there you Quoted, go that's you why designers shouldn't be marketing you heard it right here
0: first Andy, did you know that great design tells stories? (laughs) Quote that,
1: M-Andy Mangold. (sighs) Don't do that, please. So I'm I'm on my phone because I was looking up Rebecca Black, and there is an entire section under her Wikipedia page for philanthropy. Wow. Oh, good for her. So anyways, philanthropy literally has one sentence in it, so... (laughs) There's that. <laughs> and it says Re- Rebecca Black is a noted not a philanthropist. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> She's been quoted in the media as saying "finders keepers and get out of my way." poors.
0: Is that how rich people refer it, to poor people? They just get out of yeah. my way. poor
2: They're not. I mean, see, they don't want to emphasize their humanity. They want to really make them just an obstacle, an object. You know, it's in their way. So I see. That makes sense. I understand. Listen, Matt, get up close. I know a lot about rich people. We can talk about this.
0: I don't know enough about it. Why there's do we have so to keep getting
1: so up close?
2: It's a very intimate show. I don't know, Andy makes us keep doing this. Do I keep doing it? I, yeah. I'm trying to yeah, I'm trying to improve my podcast presence. What I'm gonna do is really put some range in the show. So there's a lot of a lot of highs, a lot of lows, a lot of high Great. volumes, high pitch, you know, it really awesome. have some interest, some good patterns and rhythm to the to the vocals. It's
0: not a Bob Dylan record. You can just <laughs> talk <laughs> normally
2: and we'll be fine.
0: Welcome to the podcast about design. I think of this as a green day record—just no highs, no lows, all maxed out. Kind of shitty.
2: Uh, good riddance. Am I right? All right. Um. So this week, I am I'm excited to talk about talk about A/B testing. This is a subject you're not excited excited. to talk about it, Matt.
0: The only reason I wasn't thrilled about it is because it's not a thing I participate in that much. I feel like this is a thing that you know, uh, software service, web apps, e-commerce sites are participating in. I feel like I'm working on a lot of like uh, traction pages. Cultural institutions, things that aren't really A B testing, so I'm not I'm not participating as much as you two. So what what do I have to
2: contribute? What do I know? Well, Matt, not doing something has never stopped us from talking about it before. <laughs> I don't see why it should stop us now.
1: <laughs> Dan, how are you feeling about this? I see you over there huffing and puffing. Great concept, really shittily done at practice. I'm not exactly a fan. I like that Dan <laughs> Dan sums it up so quickly. No, he's like he's like he's like, I'm gonna end the podcast right now. I
2: know we're at minute ten, <laughs> but let me just Pretty much sum this whole thing up, express all of my thoughts in a very concise sentence, and then I'll be done talking for the rest of the show. Boom. Well, here's what we should do. Let's just record two podcasts,
0: put both out, see which does better. I
2: was trying to think of a way we could A-B test the podcast. That would be (laughs) awesome. We can't do it, though. Technology, we don't have the technology. No, I know. (laughs) This has been something that I've been thinking about for a long time. And I've been thinking about it a lot because... Honestly, largely because Day's Work has just launched, right? And here is our first uh, project that we can afford to kind of invest in the pipeline, for lack of a better word. I just said the pipeline.
1: Oh, yeah. Was, Do you hate yourself? You hate, yourself? You you hate, hate yourself? I
2: know. I today I was the. Uh, I, I don't even talk about the ways of becoming the person that I hate, but it's happening. So, <laughs> for lack of, I mean, for lack of a better word, like we have this marketing site. We're trying to get people through the marketing site, through Twitter, through Facebook, through blog posts, through whatever, to sign up for our service and to use it for a long period of time. And our potential value per user is pretty high, right? We're charging $10 a month. So uh, our potential value for a user over the course of like two years is hundreds of dollars, which is way more than any of our previous products. Um, even sure. even our most expensive elite product, WikiWeb, only ever costs $5. Uh, so we could never spend the time or money to invest in A-B testing or invest in advertising because none of those things pay out enough to justify the kind of cost for when you're going to make $3.70 off of somebody Mm because Apple takes 30%. So I'm thinking about it largely for that reason. And also because it's a thing that comes up a good bit in the office with our client work. It comes up with all sorts of projects. And I do not know how I feel about it, right? Because in one sense, it's like, hey, we've always championed design for being practical, right? Like the reason that we say we're not artists, most of us, I think, is that art is this kind of fluffy uh, thing with no edges on it, and who knows what it is, or how you measure success. And design is kind of a more concrete version of that creativity, where you can say, not only am I being creative and doing something interesting, but it's for a purpose, and it's for this goal. Um, and A-B testing gives us, in many cases, the opportunity to directly measure that goal, no matter what it is. Your goal could be I just want people to click this button for whatever reason. I want people to spend three minutes on this website. Whatever your goal is, we can now measure so, so much. So in some ways, it's really appealing, right? Like we have tools at our disposal to actually see the impact of what we're doing to a greater degree of clarity than anybody's ever had before in this industry. Uh, and then most of me just feels really icky and gross about it and like it's totally wrong, right? Uh I I, I just, every time something tests well, I look at it and I go, but that's not the one I like. And I don't know if it's because I'm an idiot and just bad at doing my job, or if it's because there's something kind of fundamentally at odds with, you know, what tests well and what I would consider to be well-designed. So I, I will put it to both of you, given that, I mean, I, I, would you both agree, first of all, that one of the appeals of design for you is its practicality, its, its application?
0: Yes, I agree with that. My little uh, disclaimer at the beginning, I'm not rolling my eyes the way Dan is, because I don't think I have those battle scars of being like, I've been through the A-B testing ringer, and it really has killed all my stuff. Like, I don't have that many experiences with it, so I'm not that bitter about it.
1: Yeah, yeah I've I've gone through a lot of it, and it's been in the, the perspective of non-designers needing to test things so it's just it's just a different perspective uh, it, and especially in cases where design is just not really present so for a lot of it i've seen a lot of like oh should we do a green button should we do a red button like what is the color that we need to do that's going to test the best where if a designer was present a lot of times we say oh in order for this to be more present on the page to have more higher contrast you just have to have this color because it's going to contrast from everything else on the page you know it's that sort of reasoning that um i think testing tries to help solve uh, but a lot of times i don't know i, I just have a bad taste of my mouth in it because i understand that it can help you try to find a message or a presentation that might be more effective but a lot of times it kind of boils down to like i don't agree with you so let's just test with it and see who wins uh, which is a really really bad mentality for it
2: i i agree with you dan i think looking at the the whatever comes out of the test as the winner and as the solution and the right answer is one of my kind of fundamental problems with A-B testing. Because there's this thing about numbers where if people see a number, they assume some degree of truth about whatever that number is. Because numbers are exact, and numbers are trustworthy, and math is comparatively concrete compared to language and other sorts of ways of communicating. So if you see a number, it's like, oh, that must be true. And assuming that it's not, you know, false, it is oftentimes true, but it's true in this unbelievably specific scope, and the sort of uh, intuition of people is to extrapolate that out to a more human level. Like, oh, we, we did this change to our homepage, and... Uh, you know, conversions were up 10% a day. And it's like, oh, that must mean that the new homepage is better at converting. But actually, like, what happened on that day? Where did your traffic come from? And I know that actual A-B testing splits traffic evenly and sort of mitigates all these things. Um, It's just an example of how numbers give you an extremely specific point about an extremely small amount of the picture. Uh, I think one of the sort of skills of a designer or anybody creative is being able to see the whole picture or see a lot more of the picture Uh, even if it's not to such a degree of specificity.
1: Um, Yeah, and there's a wrinkle in that that I really want to point out is that there's so much testing done uh, where people want to ask or they want to frame it as like, I want to test to see which performs better. This, this, or that. And then the testing resolves at some point, maybe a few days goes by, and they say, okay, this one performed better. Nobody ever asks why. Or many people in many cases do not ask why which is the thing that's missing so many times. Like, I can think back to iContact. One of the marketing folks said, oh, the banner ad that we have with the dolphin on it is the best con- you know, it's the best click-through rate we've ever had. iContact is an email marketing company. They have nothing to do with dolphins. It was literally a clip art that was just tacked inside of the banner ad, and it was the, the best click-through that they had. If you step back and look, it was the most simple, focused ad that they made. I mean, there was takeaways that they clearly could have taken and that was outside of the idea of a dolphin performs better. You made so many good points there. Let me just reiterate them. So first of
2: all, you talked about the fact that, um, you know, people oftentimes will look at the results and not dig deeper and figure out why. And I I would argue that I think a lot of people do do that. And I think that not pushing forward and trying to figure out why means that you don't really understand the problem, right? You're just kind of looking at... You're looking at shadows on the wall, and you're trying to chase this uh, this little light dancing around, but you don't actually understand your success at all. Um, so I, I agree with <laughs> that. And I think the eye contact dolphin, it, that's a true thing, right? You didn't just make that up? It's a, no, it's a, no.
1: it Really, it was a banner that
2: ran for at least two years. Let's use that as our case study right now, because I think it's a perfect sort of succinct example of everything we're talking about. So eye contact dolphin results in more signups. Let's assume that their data was you know, extremely large, there were, there are plenty enough data points to justify a trend. Let's also assume they did a perfect job of serving up the uh the ads in such a way that they eliminated any other bias from um people that are signing up for it. I think a lot of people would look at that and say, okay, here's a bulletproof case for like we should just use this dolphin all the time because people click on it. Here's here's the thing I, I here's the question I asked next okay, do we want people that click on the dolphin banner ad to sign up for our service or do we want people that click on the other banner ad? Like, who are these people? Like, you can never never measure every possible variable. Like, sure, you got more signups and you could go a step further and measure how long the people that were dolphin people uh, stayed customers or how many emails they ended up sending compared to the other people. But as soon as you start measuring everything, it becomes immediately overbearing. And to just look at one little piece of that picture it's just you only get a little piece right and now you have a bunch of dolphin lovers on your
1: website for reasons that are unknown to you and you you have no clue what's going on yeah yeah and and there was a really good point what you said and something that i've dealt with uh with a few different companies at this point is that there's a long tail retention thing that you have to keep track of so yeah sure the dolphin ad might get people more people onto the homepage. cool that might get more people to sign up cool are those people going to um, re-up the next month on their subscription, which, which is a monthly cadence? Cool. What about a dolphin ad makes people want to subscribe to an email marketing service uh, because of a dolphin ad? Like, And the answer it, is dolphins are dumb and advertising doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. But no, it, But and that's why you have to go back to those things because there's so many other cases that are o- outside of banner ads. Um Be it a button or a type of message or the way that the message is presented. So many people go in and say, okay, if we tweak this one thing, we could probably get 5% better conversion. Cool. What about that can be applied to your whole offering instead of trying to do a one off? Because another example, and like I'll talk about this because enough people agree at the company, but Tagged uh, actually has an issue with their product because they've gone through multiple instances where they wanted to redesign everything because it was all old all aged and they wanted to be able to do something about it and they just wanted to reinvent multiple times now what they found so many times is that when they went to go test it the same way that they have in the past is that it always performed worse because uh their implementation of testing over the years is let's test every single thing on the page let's tweak the shit out of it ultimately they painted themselves into a corner because of that, anytime that they would go to test something new, it always failed because it wasn't the same thing that people have just gotten used to over the past eight years. So the, the thing about testing is that, sure, you could try to do this through data. Sure, you could try to do it just based off of a spreadsheet. But ultimately, it's not going to give you a very clear picture. It'll give you a clear picture of some things that might be wrong, but it'll never give you the instance of understanding the reasoning of why it would ever fail or succeed.
2: Let's assume people are measuring all the things you're talking about. Like, they're not, nothing's falling through the cracks. They're measuring all of the retention. They don't understand why, but they know that Dolphin ad is performing way better across every metric across many years of the service why practically is that a problem cuz and the reason I'm I'm playing the role of everybody that I have ever had a discussion about testing with where mm-hmm. i say i don't want to do this it's not our vision for the thing it's not doesn't make any sense it's a dolphin why are we doing this and they say it doesn't matter like the dolphin brings more people in more people give us money more people stay signed up for a long time they're more active they share our service more it does not matter why why it works right okay. we just know it
1: does okay so i want to pose this to matt then because Matt, sure. like for for a lot of the projects that you've done in the past, it's been brands that have been highly curated, like well established. Yeah. Um, what if in one of those projects somebody said, "Oh, like the dolphin ad, we need to do more dolphins in our ads," or something that was completely off brand of stuff that they've done in the past? Like, how would you tackle that? I think my reaction would be similar to
0: what Dan is saying, and that I would say that might like maybe a lot of people click on the dolphin ad. But it has nothing to do with everything that you've done elsewhere. And I would imagine the reasons people are clicking on it has nothing to do with who you are or what you are. Maybe they just like dolphins. And are they really that valuable to you?
1: I think the thing that comes up is well, no matter what, more people are going to our website because of a dolphin ad. So how about you just work it in? If we're talking about something that is well established
0: and speaks to a high quality, I'll make that argument and say, honestly, you don't look like what you are. Like you you are a high quality thing and just putting a clip over a dolphin looks sloppy, it looks lazy, and that's not how you want to represent yourself, even if you're getting a totally new, different audience. Is that the audience that you want to have and is that the one way you want to present yourself? And usually the answer will be no. And if the answer is yes, well then Get off my lawn. I assume that that, that will eventually fall apart. Like I would just assume, okay, maybe it's time to get out because the leadership doesn't know
2: where we're going. And the other thing that I often think about is that the work that I admire the most never seems to be work that comes from testing, right? It's never like, oh, this website that... And you can tell. You can tell when a website tests very well and has been like a b tested into oblivion because by the way it's set up it has a certain a certain cadence and a certain rhythm to it a certain redundancy of sign up buttons that you just know uh happens to work better uh, and it sort of passed all the tests um and i think it's easy to think about this kind of i often relate this kind of uh this kind of pandering i'll call it to the user uh to like making pop music or you know like a bad sitcom the whole point is like it works, people like it, but you're not like pushing anything forward, right? At the end of the day, you're just like doing the thing that's already established that is already a pattern that works for everybody and you're not helping at all. Um, And it's really easy to use that argument against like, oh, there's some like crappy company doing some horrible marketing and they're just doing this pop culture thing where they're tapping into some pre-established patterns. But as soon as you say like, all right, now we're optimizing the website for people to sign up for healthcare and it just, more people are able to sign up for health care health coverage if we put six sign up buttons on this page and we you know optimize the crap out of it and there are dolphins everywhere um, all of a sudden I'm like oh geez like how <laughs> how can I justify my like my artfulness my taste over yeah. these numbers when those numbers are doing good right like I always, I always try and the things I I'm against I always try and imagine what if those things were in a different context where they were clearly doing good for whoever was employing yeah. them and that's why. Well, I that's think where there's a like,
0: there's a context for all of this. The argument that I made, you know, works for some people. It certainly doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I end up dealing with this more in like this is the this is the amount of the amount something costs. Here are the two costs next to each other. We should pick the cheaper one. And sometimes you have to make the argument like yes, you will be paying less money for this, and we're not going to be able to test it. But ultimately, you're going to be give, putting something in somebody's hand, and they're going to be walking away either saying, "Well, wow, this is impressive." or huh seems pretty cheap yeah and but there are certainly situations where that pretty cheap thing is not a poor representation of you uh maybe it was a good way of, of spending less money maybe that money could be better spe- spent elsewhere it just depends on the thing that we're talking about
2: there's also this i, I was reminded when we mentioned advertising of the adverti- of the company that i'm most certain is doing the most ridiculous ab testing in their advertising and that is geico Geico has like how many different campaigns going on at a given time for for their products, right? Like yeah. they have the Gecko, they have they used to have those cavemen, and the Gecko and the caveman coexisted, and there's a bunch of other things too. I'm sure there's an ex- exhaustive list somewhere. I don't watch enough TV to know for sure, but every time I see a different kind of Geico ad, I'm like, they ha- they must be testing the crap out of this campaign. And I have to wonder if all of that imprint, you know, all of the the huge amount of people that are reached by all of their some ads, if they had like just kind of picked one, anyone, and gone with it if they would have way more kind of capital buildup in it by now, right? Because so many more people had seen this thing instead of having diversified all of their uh, impressions over a a huge suite of advertising campaigns. Um, And I think some maybe testing comes down to that too, right? Like, if you you know you stand for something, uh, it's probably not worth testing that, right? Because if you're going to, like, change what you stand for because it's something tested better, then what are you doing right the other thing we haven't talked about is the idea of a local maximum right i think some people i think some designers are against testing because they feel that it's a replacement for them right like well if we could just test and figure out what page is better like what what use some I in this in this particular enterprise and uh the the problem you run up against there, we should just mention, is like the idea of this local maximum where sure you have a general idea for a page or a form or something and you test various arrangements of uh, of inputs and you test different size buttons with different colors and different language, and you test different headlines, and you figure out which one works best. But little did you realize that if you had just thrown that entire form out and replaced it with some other way to give us information, that would have performed way better. You just never thought to try that. Um and that's I think another important thing to keep in mind is that Testing, really, as far as like, if you are going to do it, and I again, I always, always problem with it, it only makes sense to me like right up to like the end of a project. And one of the things I struggle with, with the web and apps and stuff, is that there is no end, right? Like when are you done? And to sort of start testing seems to me to be throwing away the potential that you could do something else way better if you were not so concerned with optimizing whatever you already have.
0: Well, that's actually the one thing I wonder being... Uh Rarely being in the situation where I can do a test like this is like, who has the time and energy to, and money to spend on this? Like, I understand the motives and I understand what's being done, but like, I'm never finished on these web projects that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. And it's always a conversation about where we're going to put our effort next. Yeah. And I have a hard time imagining getting to the point where everything is so perfect that you're just going to test two hypotheticals and see which has the better outcome.
2: Maybe, maybe that's the best way to put it.
0: I would like to be able to test things more. Like, I, I like the idea of it. Um, it, you know, assuming I were in control of the two options. But there are so many projects where it seems difficult to imagine getting to, like, having spent all the resources and time and gotten to a point where said, everything's so good that we're
1: done and we're just going to test this one
0: thing. Because, I mean, does it even, is it even going to work too if you're testing like 10,000 things at the same time?
1: You can do multi variable testing. Like, that is a thing that totally exists. Um, The issue with it is that, one, it, uh, because there's so many different variables and the software isn't perfect, uh, it actually becomes significantly harder to interpret exactly what is and what isn't working. Um, So you could, I guess
0: my question is not even like, is it possible? It's like, is it effective? Because how much are you dividing your audience's attention?
1: Exactly. Yeah. And at some point, it may actually become st- statistically insignificant, where the pools become so granular that you know you-, you get to the point where you're saying, "Oh, well, twenty people clicked on this. Twenty people out of maybe a million is not the greatest idea."
2: I, I think you you said it best, Matt. We- if you're resigning yourself to testing, then you're saying we choose optimization over any other kind of work we could be doing. And maybe I would be more willing to accept it if I ever felt like something I did was good enough that I had no other ideas for how to make it better myself. If I was at the point where I was like, this feels perfect to me, I can't imagine how to improve it, then maybe I'd be curious to see what the testing might sort of result in. But ultimately, like, I look at anything I've done, and I'm like, we need to throw this whole fucking thing out and do it again uh that's how i feel basically you know two days after being done something is that there's so much wrong with it that i kind of just want to do it over um and we've we've been uh, we've had clients in the past that have had uh you know websites or or pages that were old designs that had been tested kind of to within an inch of their life and had been optimized completely and all of the edges were sanded off of them and they were smooth and perfect uh and then they they eventually grow weary of the design of the website they come to us redesign it we redesign it, and they're like, hey, what the hell, our numbers went down. And we're like, but everything looks better. <laughs> like, I don't know what you want from us. Yeah, um, well, we, mm. we, we, We've turned down jobs in the past because they say, hey, we'd love to hire you to make our website look better. We know it's not pretty. But one of the caveats is you have to make these numbers go up as part of the redesign as well, and we can never guarantee that, right? Like, I can't, I can't come to the table and go, we will definitely improve your conversion rate or your sign-up rate or your click-through rate. Uh, that's not a guarantee I can ever make. And part of me wonders if that makes me just a bad designer, right? Like, that's the whole point of these websites. The whole reason they exist is to to do this thing. If I can't say that my design work is going to improve their performance of that thing, then what the fuck am I doing? And it's just having to say that to somebody and come to that realization and be like, I can't guarantee that thing. And they're kind of like, well, what, what is your job? I thought you were a good web designer that was practical. And I'm like, I am, but still can't do that thing. I don't know. It feels yeah. it feels bad.
1: Well, it, it all depends, too. Like, if it was a hypothetical situation where it was something where, like, uh, a, a site or a service that had an account that people signed into, like, there's a whole interface for that, or something that people frequented. It wasn't just, like, a one-off visit. Uh, if it's the case where you go and redesign something, people just have to reset and they have to get acclimated to the, the, the new interface. That always will make numbers drop, no matter what. But if you're talking
2: about a marketing page, that's a new... The whole point is it's a new audience all the time. You're trying to get new users, right? I mean, th-
1: so that's true. There's another thing, though, is that um, when people go to test stuff, a lot of times they don't go and do a lot of research about that the specific kind of person that they want to talk to. They might, just in a general sense, for their own business needs, but they don't do that in the sense of behavior that these people have when they visit sites or visit this kind of site. Um So, there might be expectations like if somebody goes to a plumbing website, there might be just something that a lot of plumbers do that they're just used to. Or if you're going to look for a service, there's something like that. There's always a case where people have a preset notion of what they're looking for when they get there for a specific kind of thing. And to think that you're going to put a brand brand new thing out there and it's magically going to make all the numbers go up, no. I mean, a lot of times if you're going to just, if you want to just make the numbers go up, you have to adjust the small thing, the thing that's the really the pain point. And for somebody to come to you and say, you got to redo everything because it just looks like crap, that's kind of missing what their goal is.
2: And and I agree with you, Dan, but what it comes down to is like, okay, I am okay with myself in saying, I can't necessarily make these numbers go up. There's all these factors. Mm-hmm. Um, but then where does that put us in the whole... We want to be valued as like practical contributors to solving problems, right? We're supposed to be problem solvers. That's what the that's what the like, rose tinted glasses view of designers are. We're not just idiots picking good fonts and making things readable. We're solving problems all over the place. Now here's a here's a person in my industry with a problem they need solved, which is that their website is bad and they need to look better, but they also can't afford to lose any sales or like, make any of their user signups go down because that's the core of their business. And I am this person that said, I can't do that. Sorry, like that's not a thing that is possible. Yeah. Um, where, where does that put us? It, it sounds to me like we're just putting ourselves right in the backseat again. And we're saying like, sorry, we only make things look good. We can do that. But anything now, else yeah, <laughs> I, not, I, it's
1: on our I, move. I think designers have a behavior. I've, like I've done this countless times where I look at something, I say, man, that looks like shit. I can make it look like not shit. And it's going to be great. I'm going to redesign this boarding pass. Exactly. And what, you know, you go into that mentality of like, I could just like clean slate, start over. It's going to be awesome. Try to. Get I'm going to redesign of, this parking sign. Yeah. And, and gr- get rid, rid of all the legacy crap, all the legacy code, all the legacy design, all of it. And it's going to be awesome. That's Why does this the, tax form have so many inputs on it? I'm going to redesign it. To, to think that we could just do that and there's no negative repercussion is, is bad. Well, it's not just bad, it's just dumb. Yeah. Right. It's not like, it's not an
0: evil thing. It's just kind of ignorant.
1: Yeah. And that's why, like, it, it, if a designer has to go in and really change something like a marketing site or an entire like web app or something like that, they, you almost have to go into it with the mentality of like, here's the overall plan that would be awesome to be able to finish when all this is quote unquote done. But what are the chunks that I can break this out to? so that we can go in, like, ease into it, hopefully not mess up the numbers too much, and also get it to the point where it's a better design. I mean, I, I
2: feel like I have a half-baked thought, and, you know, this if this is not the place for half-baked thoughts, I don't know what is. Part of me is, like, getting embarrassed about this, because I feel like this is just me trying to grapple with the fact that, Maybe what I care about is not just money, right? Like all of these optimizations are ultimately things that will make the business behind a website do better. And yeah. I feel like I'm just like grinding up against capitalism where it's been so ingrained in me from youth, from a, from being a baby that if it's not making money, it's not right, it's not doing the correct thing, it's not going to be successful. Uh, but of course, I, I, that's not my only goal, right? So to say that testing is not important to me, I think is right in line with my goal of saying I want to do other things, and you know, uh, there's probably lots of really great cultural contributions that would never test well. Um, some yeah. of the most influential bands, like look at the Velvet Underground. Velvet Underground is never going to test well, but look at how many bands they happen to influence that sort of spawned off of them. Yeah. Um, there's value to doing things that not everybody will like, uh, and that is kind of at odds with our whole like consulting business, where the whole point is that we're going to make your business better, I guess is the idea, but the idea of being a consultant that will come in and also like increase your cultural and value, increase your immeasurable value, the stuff you can't just assign a number to, um, is, I think, something that I, I know I value that, and I don't know why I'm having such a hard time just saying I value that, and you can't measure it and get over it, but I guess that's what I feel.
0: I mean, I think we just applied a lot of negative qualities to the idea that we might just be artists. To be honest, I don't really respond to the idea that I might be an artist. It's like, it's such a different thing. What are you talking about? Um, but I think you're just, you're identifying with a lot of things that people ascribe to art, Andy. And I did, I'm not sure if uh, if that feels good or bad to you, but I'm
2: not, I don't know. What do you think? I have a distant look in my eye. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Andy might just be some frivolous artist. Maybe. Fuck. I don't know. Like who I have no sense of self identity. I don't like I I I've always told myself for the past uh I don't know, seven years that I got into design because I felt the art world was directionless and uh not a place where I could do something valuable and meaningful in the world. And then you're right, Matt, I just gave a pretty good diatribe for how a lot of the most valuable things are just things that you can't necessarily measure and ascribe other quantitative value to, and and that is a pretty good definition for art, right? Um even even things that are art, like music, there is this other there's a business aspect to all these things, right? So there's right. music uh that is strictly artistic, that's experimental, that um I think art is so often defined as being irreverent to that. To that measurement, right?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, if you define music by the, like, if you talk about the business of music, like, we're talking about the worst part of music, no one's talking about how great the business side of music is, and that's just understood, it's just like, yeah, well, Taylor Swift does sell this many records, but... No one's saying that Taylor Swift has the same artistic merit as the Velvet Underground. That's not true. Like well, everybody maybe knows she that, does. right? I don't know. Depending on the argument that you're going to make,
2: and right? the, I only, bring, the I only
0: bring up her as an example because of all the, the Spotify stuff. But like,
2: and and that's the thing is, I I don't think that she's not artistic. Like, I, I, that almost came out of my mouth. I almost said like, oh, we have art music over here and we have crappy business music, but there is still a creativity and art in what she's doing. She's. I don't think she's strictly. You know, A/B testing pop music and just making whatever musical notes and patterns happen to sell the most records. Mm-hmm. I just think that she happens to sort of strike a chord um, with a certain feeling in a certain community, and also on top of that, I'm sure is cognizant of the things she could do that would ruin her record sales and is aware of that. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm having like a weird moment here. Where yesterday, if you'd asked me, I would have kind of given you the same opinion I gave you about a second ago, and now I'm just kind of realizing that it's really negative to define art as being irreverent to the whether or not it makes money and instead just say that these things coexist it's not that art shouldn't have an opinion of of how yeah. successful it is necessarily maybe it's successful maybe it's not but the sort of combination of art and business are powerful because they have different agendas um, i mean
0: if, if you don't want to have a full-on meltdown too like there is there are plenty of examples of people Like you think about the henry ford quote like you're gonna. If you ask people what they want, they'll just tell you they want a faster horse. Things like that. Ugh. Look, I, under, I know it's an it's old cliche quote, but I'm just saying it's uh-huh. it's like yep. part of the cultural zeitgeist that like innovation requires big, innovative thinking, and you can't just ask people what they want. And that's kind of what A/B testing is. It's just asking people a question that has an A answer and a B answer. Which one do you like better? And I think most people would agree that you're not going to get something very exciting and innovative out of that. You might get slight increases, but Andy, maybe there's a website that you put up that's brand new and, you know, well-designed and better than the one before, according to your own metrics. Maybe that doesn't do so well right up front, and maybe it does much better afterwards.
2: Or maybe not, and that's okay. That's my point. Like, I'm just running up against the fact that I do believe that there is value in making something that you may know is going to be less financially successful than another thing you could make that's very similar, and that's okay. because ultimately, like. The impact I would like to have on the world is not strictly sucking all of the money from every possible orifice I come in contact with for me and my clients, but instead you know, injecting some delight, injecting some curiosity into people, and you won't know. Sure, you might have a super optimized page. that gets people to sign up for your service all you want. Maybe they're signing up for it, though, with a little bit of a sense of dread, like they feel like they have to sign up for it because they're being kind of twisted into it, as opposed to signing up for it because they truly believe in it.
0: You just scared everyone into signing up for this because you changed the copy to read, if you don't sign up, we'll kill your children. That tested really well!
2: So we have worked with a number of lawyers over the years at Friends of the Web for a number of different reasons. Um, recently, when putting the terms of service together for, for Day's work, which was a an annoying hurdle to jump through and hard thing to do, um, we basically, Mandy Brown of Editorially, who I will say right now, thank you, Mandy Brown. You are a hero. Um, she spent a long, long time writing really great, clear, effective terms of service and privacy policies for... Editorially, which was her her company that has since been shut down, unfortunately, um, and she open sourced that so let anybody use it if they wanted to, which was great because that was kind of the foundation for for our our terms of service. I went through and edited it and added things we needed, took things out we didn't need. Um, we had to add whole sections about payment because her service was free and ours is paid, so we had to sort of add that in. I, I spent a lot of time on this and I sent over to our lawyer and was like, "Hey, lawyer." Uh I cobbled this together from places and did what made the most sense to me, but I need someone to vet this for kind of whether it holds legal water. And uh and they came back and made a bunch of changes, but one of the most prominent changes was some of the sections like the disclaimer and limitations of liability and uh the indemnification sections, um, which are basically the sections that say that, hey, no matter what happens to you, you can't like sue us over it, uh if something happens to you on day's work. If our servers crash, and you lose all of your information, and you can't send invoices. You don't get to sue us for all the money that you might have lost. Uh, you're not allowed to do that. Um, and he basically came back and had added tons of language legalese to this. And and Mandy's terms of service for editorially was human. It was not. It was not legalese. It was very easy to understand. And so there's a lot of that kind of Mandy style language left over. And then there's these like three sections that are just horrible blocks of legal information. Um, and I responded back. and I was like, thanks for all the edits. I was like, the one thing that jumps out to me is like, these are all all of a sudden very scary and very hard to understand. Like, I don't get them as a person. I myself am reading this as my terms of service. I don't understand what this is saying to me. Um, and he came back and basically said, like, yeah, you know, the, the purpose of, of legal jargon oftentimes is to kind of intentionally make things seem complicated. So people don't understand them because if they understood what you were saying, they might not sign up. And I was like, did you just say the thing that I've always thought about legal people that is apparently the truth? Like, he just straight up said, like, oh, if people saw here that you're not going to let them, you're not going to, they have to indemnify you taking damages, they might not sign up. And I was like, I don't want them to sign up if they don't want to agree to that. Like, that's bullshit. <laughs> I don't want them to be... To not understand a big block of text and sign up not understanding what they agreed to, like, that's fucking horrible. Wow. But, but that's the thing that would test better, right? Like, if you have a terms of service that yep. just had a big, giant block of scary legal text that nobody wow. can understand, so they're like, well, I can't bother read all this. Let me just click this button. Sure, you might get more signups, but you're being a dick. You're being <laughs> horrible. You are the worst part of the world. <laughs> ah! Can the whole episode just be that? He just told <laughs> me over email. He was like, Oh, oftentimes the purposes of this legal stuff is to make it so people don't understand the legal stuff intentionally because otherwise they might be uh they might not agree to the things that they want to get that you're asking them to agree to. The thing is like I I don't this lawyer is not a bad person. I emailed back and was like, "Hey, listen, we don't want to do that at all." And he was like, "Oh, almost all of my clients like every single one of my other clients wants to do that. So if you don't want to do that, I understand." He was just trying to kind of I think respond to what most people want from him. He wasn't being yeah. like a shitty person, but like the fact that that's what everyone is doing is like the worst and that's to me the exact same mentality of this kind of testing we're talking about where you're like hey if it makes the signups go up fuck it whatever it doesn't matter what what the other kind of collateral damage is Uh, and I just don't like I believe in doing work that has a deeper meaning than just making some number go up so that's why I don't test much except for when my coworkers do it anyway it's it's amazing how much running our business we run up against people that think we should be doing something another way that is so clearly shitty that we're like no we're not going to do that and they're like really but you'd make more money and we're like we know but we're not going to do that thing like that happened here he I mean, like I said, Laurie's a good guy. I talked to him about it. He's on our page now. But like he called me on the phone to explain it. And he was like, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. And then he explained the exact same thing over again as if it was different. And I was like, no, see that thing you just said? Don't want to do that. Do not want people to not understand the terms. We don't want to intentionally obscure things. And also like we have, we have an accountant uh, who also we love, but who regularly reminds us uh, that we're not making like tons more money than our employees. And he's like, really? You should be making more money than them. That's how this works. And I'm like, that's not how we want to do things. We don't want them to make less money than us. That feels bad. So I don't care that that's what all the other businesses in the world do. It seems wrong. So no. And then next month, just, by the way, I still notice you're making less money. I know. We know. We, we chose not to. Okay. <laughs> And none of these people, I don't think any of these people are bad. They're just part of a system Uh that this is so accepted to be the norm, right? It's so accepted that if you start a company, you're going to negotiate salaries as low as you possibly can at all costs, and you're going to maximize how much money you're taking home at all costs and run the business on this razor-thin margin where you're taking home all the money and people are getting paid as little as you can get them to possibly take, uh, and that's just how the world works. That sucks. Let's all stop doing that. Let's all agree to just stop doing that. But that's the thing. It's like so few people in this whole this whole system are actually evil, right? So people are actually being like, I'm going to take advantage of that person or mm-hmm. I'm going to trick these people signing up for my website and they're not going to understand what legal terms I'm imposing upon them. So few people are actually doing that. Everyone is just complicit. Like all the lawyers are just complicit. All of the bookkeepers are just complicit. All of the people that go to the lawyer and say, hey, lawyer, what should I do? And the lawyer says this. And they say, okay, whatever. They're just complicit. Like it's it's just, that is the... That's the default path, right? That's, that's where the water runs, downhill. And if you
1: don't actively say no, then that's where you end up. And oh, God. Maybe those lawyers should A-B test their terms of service to see the quality of, of customers that stick around.
2: But it's the thing, you can't measure quality.
1: You can't measure how much you informed
2: somebody of the legal thing they're agreeing to, and you can't measure how happy your employees are and how adequately they've been compensated and how good the benefits are. You can't measure all these things
1: because not everything can be broken down into numbers, except for dolphins.
0: In one way, in one part of my life, I feel so impassioned about that idea Like, yeah, you can't can't break everything down. to just like business terms and numbers and making money. But then when it comes to science, I feel so the opposite way.
2: Mm. How so?
0: That like science is absolutely the way. We should test everything. We should be working towards concrete facts and everything somehow is going to make sense in, in physics and mathematics. And it's all just undiscovered as opposed to, say, a religious argument which is, like, a little bit of the line it feels like we're dancing on. But I have no problem with what you're saying, and I don't know, like... I guess it's it's kind of that Sam Harris book of how morality fits into science, but how does morality fit into our lives in in worlds that are becoming more and more measured by numbers? And I really like the idea of science. I don't like the idea of religion. I think that doing things for no really good reason, causes a lot of problems.
2: And to be clear, those things do have really good reasons. They're just oftentimes really good reasons that if people knew about them and believed them, they would not be so into those ideologies necessarily. Uh, What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, like, religious doctrine, I think, is oftentimes rooted in control and in kind of exerting some kind of uh, influence over people. um, That's true. No, there
0: there are... Well, good reasons. There are reasons.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, th- that's the thing. Is like you're just talking about value systems. Like, what yep. is it that you value in terms of uh, truth and reality and things you want to have in your life? Um, I, I think that you're right, Matt. There is kind of a tension there because, yeah, like I mean, I think you're the same way I am. Right? Am I wrong about that? Oh, about religious stuff and science. Feeling very passionately
0: that science is just hasn't discovered everything yet.
2: Yeah, and I don't think we'll ever get to that point where we haven't discovered everything. But I, I like science because to me, it's not about what they have or haven't discovered, or about what we know or don't know, it's just about the system, right? Like, science is open to itself being wrong, and open to being corrected, uh, right. and open to, like, changing and improving, uh, and religious doctrine is not. Religious doctrine is based in tradition, and in uh, reliability, and not changing, um, and I just think that independent of whatever their actual beliefs are a system that is self-correcting is the better system even if you're starting out at a worse place right like even if that's
0: true i agree with that i just think a lot of what we talk like i feel like a lot of the design decisions that we hold out well it's more i don't think it's necessarily us specifically but the decision the design decisions that our industry Holds up is great. Are much closer to doctrine than they are to science, that's mm. true. and that's a challenging. That is a very yeah. good point. Place to put ourselves Ooh. in. That's. Uh, talk, I mean, I don't think I don't think it's shocking to say here, right? No, now. We I, talk I don't about think it's all a, the time. I don't think yeah. it's heresy.
2: No, I think you're totally right. Like there is a tradition, right in this in this industry that is I think upheld and considered maybe a little bit sacrosanct, and it's not yeah. based at all in this is performant or this is objectively good. It's based in whatever we decided is good. And a good example of that is like, you know, this industry is still predominantly male because of its tradition and history and how we're like, "Oh, uh we're going to measure things in this particular way and you have to know the right people to get the jobs and you have to be able to afford to take a free internship and all these like things that exist in the industry keep a certain type of person out. They keep people that don't have disposable income out." Um mm-hmm. and those are bad traditions, right? We should break those traditions.
1: Yeah, okay, that's also a good point too because if you think about it, if if design was in some way a religion that's almost like saying like oh yeah like saint massimo of modernism you know like the things that he did but are... mo-
0: modernism kind of is that way like, i don't yeah there are, there's i mean very much in the same way like there are a lot of things in in uh in say christian doctrine that has survived because it makes sense and then there are a lot of things that just kind of been like come along right with it yeah. and i think the same thing with modernism there's a lot of ideas in modernism that are great because they've they changed the world, and they made for a much cleaner, clearer communication, and then there are just a lot of things that came with it. Like, clean, clear typography makes sense, and then Helvetica just rode that way. Yep. yep.
2: And would Helvetica ever, in any quantifiable way, test better than Ariel? Probably not, right? I can imagine no right. place where that would cause any meaningful, measurable business value to anybody. That would just be taste, right? That's just you saying, we know this to be the better thing because we went to school for this, look at my degree so get this other thing out of here
0: Hmm. and it made sense at a time it's the like don't eat shellfish of design like it made (laughs) sense at a time there's a reason why we did it at some point but just doesn't make sense anymore you know and why but we just keep doing it because it's part of this tradition i love andy's impassioned speech about this is why i don't test I agree with you wholeheartedly. I don't think we're testing for morality very... I don't know that we can't test for morality, but we're certainly not doing it now, and we're we're not going to kind of, like... We're not going
2: to be moral human beings the way you're discussing it. So maybe maybe we're, like, a, a different thing, right? Because I think this, like, self-correcting system is what it comes down to for me. So I think if you're doing something and you do not care about the impact that it has and you are going to make no effort to adjust based on that impact... Um, that's kind of my worst case stereotypical view of art, right? Like my vision of the artist is this person that just says like, I made this sculpture and if you don't like it, fuck off, I don't care. It's just my expression. Uh, And and that's the art I don't want to be a part of. Um, And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have this, like we're going to measure everything, we're going to quantify, we're going to perform experiments, we're going to find the most successful paths forward, we're going to make a... You know objective book of how to make good graphic design that we can back up with citations and data that we've been that's been vetted and kind of academically uh you know proven um and that to me also just feels inhumane and wrong, and there's something in between where it's like my value set is not just things I can measure that's not the yeah. only thing that I value, mm-hmm. but I'm also not going to be totally irreverent to whatever feedback I get If you show me some numbers, I will take that into consideration the same way I'll take any qualitative feedback, any person telling me that work had some impact on their life uh, into sort of consideration. And I'm going to weigh those two things. And, you know, with my value set that I either have as an individual or that I've decided that uh, the company has or whoever I'm working with has, with that value set, we're going to be self-correcting, but we're going to be self-correcting on our own terms. And that's what a good designer is, maybe.
0: I also think that, like, I suspect that if we could test everything and we could get enough data, and we could test a large enough group of people, then maybe we would come to the right conclusions. It's just like your goal as a company isn't the goal of humanity. It's just the goal of your co- your company, and your goal might not be that great. Like It might not be great for all of us. It's just great for you right now. So you can test and come to a conclusion and get a bad thing, but maybe you could test for the entire world and come to a conclusion that's good for everybody. It's just that's not your motivation, and you have no ability to do that.
2: And and I want to be the person in the meeting that stands up and says, yes, even though your company is seems simple, like your goal is like, we want to get as many signups as possible in the first two months of, of launch. Um, that may seem like a simple goal, but ultimately, I want to say that, okay, if you're bringing in people with these you know, invite games where they earn credits and invite all their contact list and you're doing all this stuff that even if your goal seems to be just that, that actually your goal in the long run is probably a little bit different, like your mission statement for your whole company is probably not get as many users as possible in the first two months and then figure it out from there, Um, that there is collateral damage, right? There is other stuff that is happening when you when you optimize for this local goal that you yeah need to consider like you
0: you might have got that customer but maybe he now hates you after this because <laughs> he feels screwed
2: or maybe every single person in his contact list hates you because you made it one click for him to send a fucking spam message to everybody he knows uh, maybe that
0: but I like I like that you're having these meltdowns because. It's helping me think about the things I think about design. And I I think I'm exactly where you are with it. Like, I just, I never see myself as an artist. I think that, the, like, a lot of the ideas in the art world are frivolous and stupid. And to be honest, I, I put it down too much in my brain because of what I'm reacting against. Like, who I'm trying to become and what I'm reacting against. And I'd probably have a healthier relationship with, I don't know the art world and my my own work if i just learned to accept the things that are good about it yeah like i don't know why i don't know maybe it feels like it's it's our generation too more than other generations it like, always
2: feels that way though but
0: i don't see like guys like uh seymour quast or milton glazer who just like were totally cool with being artists and also being designers it just was a, it just seemed different like it just wasn't yeah. the the worlds weren't so divided yet that it that it was an issue.
2: I think, I think our problem might be that we're just uh, we're young and dumb. and We care too much, right? Like I feel like at a certain point you're just like, well, I'm just going to be me, and whatever happens happens. And yeah. sometimes that can be really liberating. Yeah. But here we are, like carefully ob- observing our footprints and being like, oh, what impact did that have? Let me just try and measure that. And uh, oh, good. Uh, we're just well, we are. I feel
0: like we're looking at the lives, or at least I know I'm looking at the lives of other people to see what they did, and then being like, well, clearly that's the right thing to do. It's like maybe they just. We're like, oh, I ended up here, and then I ended up here, and then I ended up here, and who knows? And that just happens to be the path, but I'm looking at it as if that was defined, so like, that was planned out. Why? Who says that's planned out? Who
2: no, knows? and you never hear the stories of the people that did a very similar thing and totally failed and are not successful at all,
1: which is probably a lot of Hey, well, I, I want
0: to give you a lecture on all of my failures, also I'm still failing, I haven't succeeded yet. That doesn't <laughs> How happen. did I get this that lecture? never happened.
1: Actually, Please, no, no the, that <laughs> happens all the time, it's Silicon Valley, what are you talking about?
0: It's always no, a guy... No, well, Somebody Dan, raised no. some money at some point to get to that lecture. Time, That's yeah, what time the
2: hell out. You don't get to be an investor in Silicon Valley with taking a bunch of money for some stupid startup idea unless you've had some crappy success in your past. You're not, you're not failing your way to the top. You're just... I don't know. It's an entitlement there. Yeah. I think we should have an actual failure conference. You know people have those conferences where they're like, we're going to talk about our failures and be honest and like get all the laundry out and everyone's going to feel emotional about it. Instead, let's have a thing where people that actually have just failed come and talk and depress everybody for an entire conference. And the title of the conference is feel better about your success at the feel better about your success summit. (laughs) Good luck writing that email. Hey,
0: Hey, you know that thing you just ruined? Will you come? I know you haven't gotten over it yet, but you want to come? No, it's the thing is these
2: people will be nobody that we'd ever heard of, because if we'd heard of them, they would have had some, some degree of some, some success. We have to just like, you know, go out on the street and start asking people and, and find people that, uh, what do you do oh i work at mcdonald's what happened well i got a failed startup and okay cook come on in we, 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 we're, you're here this is for you
0: so my happy ending is uh, a little piece on sb nation by a guy named john Boyce called breaking madden oh um
2: oh, i'm jealous it's on my list oh yeah i took it from you oh.
0: <laughs> So, I don't even know how far I need to back up to explain what Madden is. No, no, please explain
2: for me. Explain what Madden is. Start with Madden.
0: Okay. Actually, you you have to start. First, you have to start with the NFL because (laughs) first, there's the idea that, like, the NFL is like the most, maybe not more popular than college football. Maybe it is. I don't know the numbers, but it's like the most popular form of football in the world. American football, Mm -hmm. right? Gridiron, whatever you want to call it. And so, it's this very kind of complex system, and it's exciting because. You watch coaches over time learn how to manipulate the system, and do things that people have never done before. But the thing about the NFL is that, like for the most part, people are pretty conservative because they have this—they have a job that pays a ton of money. They don't want to screw everything up and get fired. And already coaches get fired about every single year. Then there is Madden. Madden is a system that supposedly simulates the NFL. Right? Like you have all the different teams. In Madden, you have all the rosters. They update it every single year, so it's like as accurate as possible. They continue to kind of work on their physics engine. They work on all sort of different features so that you can do exactly what the NFL players are doing. Mm-hmm. But the thing about Madden is that it's not that at all. Madden is this kind of bizarro NFL where like every piece of player potential is realized and can be realized. Madden is the world where. Michael Vick in 2007 is the greatest player in the history of the world where Michael Vick isn't actually all that good of a quarterback because of his metrics in the game, because his speed setting is so high, his arm power is so high, like the things that a scout in in a college game would see and be like, Oh, look at all those tangible things that I can grab onto. Those are really going to work out. And then sometimes it is not in the real world, but in Madden it really does seem
2: to work. Well, this ties into our A-B testing conversation flawlessly, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that actually is kind of perfect. Just dovetail it's that like right the, in there.
2: All the arm and leg strength in the world can't
0: get you a ring. Michael Vick, A-B tests really, really, really well. He has all those things. Then there's the guy like Tom Brady who... The numbers really don't add up very well. He's not very fast. He's not very strong. But turns out he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He wins through Super Bowls. Michael Vick gets released, signed by the Jets, doesn't even start till midseason. Kind of washed up. Mm-hmm. And he's younger. The reason breaking Madden is so great is because it fully acknowledges that Madden is this flawed system and tries as hard as it can to break it every possible way that it can. Oh, man. This guy, John Boyce, will... Pick an absolutely absurd scenario and play it out in the Madden system and tweak it so hard that he literally does break the game sometimes. Like, for example, last week in the NFL, Peyton Manning broke Brett Favre's total touchdown record. Like, the number of touchdowns that Brett Favre threw in his his entire career, Peyton Manning broke that after playing for, like, I don't know, 15, 16 seasons in the NFL. And this guy said, "Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring Brett Favre back into the NFL, I'm going to do this in Madden, and I'm going to see if he can break Peyton Manning's career touchdown record in a single game. And he'll do that until it either works, or the game breaks, or he
2: runs out of time. To me, like, it's the perfect combination. I mean, John is a brilliant comedian, he's an amazing writer, uh, so the posts are always written beautifully uh it's this amazing combination of like comedy and storytelling and this crazy new medium right of a video game where we're just going to like totally torque all of the stats uh and it ends up being this kind of like uncanny valley where it's funny and interesting because it's similar to something that is familiar to us and yet so wrong and and that that like nice like tension i think makes it it's really well resolved and and John does a great job with it i i, I just i i will never forget about the super bowl from last season do you remember the breaking bad the super bowl from last season Oh, yeah, where he basically tried to score as many possible points as he could with the Seahawks. Yeah, he scored as many possible points. And the way the game broke at the end was so magnificent. Like, at a certain point, he reached a limit of how many points it would track. Like, the game, like, past 264 or something doesn't even keep track of points. yeah, it only
0: stores it in a certain number of bits, so it can't pass. I I don't know about computer science, but it can't. Score more than you can't score more than like 256. Yeah, it's like the integer limit game. of the score,
2: yeah. and then right, he like so. He hit that point, he kept scoring touchdowns, and the game ends like abruptly when, like, after a timeout or something, uh, <laughs> there's no players on the field, there's just this like weird oblong polygon <laughs> in the middle of the field that has so clearly the texture pack for a player like, overlaid on it, so it looks like a <laughs> horrible, weird football player baby that is just, like, and he just, like, zooms in on in the in the, in the replay, and he's like, I'm done. I, I am turning off the Xbox because this cannot, like, it breaks in ways that are so, it also speaks a little bit to, like, how hard software is, right? Like, the fact that he can, by not actually hacking the software, like, he didn't take apart his gaming system and, like, you know, patch in new code. He just, in the system they gave him, he just pushed the limit so extremely, that it broke in these glorious, unpredictable ways, which is just—I don't know—it's so fun to watch.
0: I just love watching it be turned into a playground. I, I feel like it's all the reasons that I love a game like Minecraft, where it's just like wide open world where you can do whatever you want. And it's like Men is not that at all, mm-hmm. or it doesn't propose to be. Yeah. But turns out but what it is. it was. You do any like it could? It could be a football game, or it could be your playground to play out every hypothetical scenario you ever wanted to that happens to involve football players.
2: That's on my list of things. I have a a separate sort of secondary list of things that I like that are specifically things that are only good because they're on the internet. Like the internet makes them possible. Uh, And this to me is like a perfect example of a really amazing type of thing to make for the internet, right? Like to hack a video game and to make these blog posts with the videos and the animated GIFs and the writing. Actually, the thing
0: about it too is like, It also, to a degree, is, like, one of the best uses of the internet. Like, the way he presents a post makes it so much a thing that can only exist there. Exactly. you could never – you just couldn't present that in a book. And it just makes full use of the media. This does it in, like, a smart – it's funny to say this, but, like, in a smart, thoughtful, well-produced way. Like, he makes a really nice video for every single one. And it's funny and the music is good. And, like, he picks perfect moments from the game to put these animated GIFs Mm -hmm. in. You wouldn't expect the level of quality from it if I
1: just dis- if I just said like very dryly what it is. I don't like I I had no idea what you guys were talking about, and I'm checking out like the latest post on it right now, and it's awesome. Like even just kind of I mean, oh the Marshawn Lynch one is was very good
0: today. Yeah, and
1: you know there's just I'm I'm looking at some of the gifts now, and just like I would have figured it was some bullshit like imager thrown together in three seconds sort of thing, but like he put thought into every single little detail.
0: And the site is designed well enough that, like, they've they planned for the fact that, like, you load 10 million gifts and it's not going to work very well. Like, also, SB Nation has been done a nice job in their site. The guy, when they hired, uh, uh, what is it, Fraser Davidson to do all the logos, he did, like, a, a, kind of a heroic job on doing, like, two or 300 little marks for all the different variations of, College football blogs, NFL blogs, NBA blogs, MLB. Blog. There's so many different team blogs that they run mm-hmm. that they've done a really nice job of tying them together. It's kind of an amazing. Just SB Nation in general is kind of an amazing feat of web design that I feel like uh, the the design community only talked about for a moment when those Fraser Davidson logos came out. But in general, really, really well done. Like the only the, and there are little things that suck about it, like you can't highlight a piece of text on the site without it asking you to tweet about something. But otherwise. Yeah.
2: guess what man really nicely done guess what that tests really well when they do that it really drives up their social engagement
0: yep that's the only thing about the site that drives me insane it almost constantly ruins my experience but you keep coming back yeah it's working
2: doesn't matter that you're annoyed look at the fucking numbers man
0: yep that's true I don't know I I think everything about where he's doing it the interface the content the idea it all comes together really nicely and you're right Andy could only exist on the internet that's a good point.
2: Oh, what a happy ending. Uh, Such yeah. a good one.
0: This has been On the Grid, episode 90. You can email the show, mail at onthegrid.co, tweet to us using hashtag onthegrid, or find us individually at madmc, at and at Hour. If you want to submit a link for us to talk about in the show, visit our subreddit at onthegrid.reddit.com. If you enjoy the show, please review us on iTunes. Thanks to Blank and Kit and Pixel Lord for the interlude music, Girlfriends for the theme music, and you for listening. Until next week.